Meet Bruce. He likes to travel and loves sports cars. But living in his garage is an elephant that empties his bank account every month. But hey, that car is so worth it, right? That elephant can be anything from debt to materialism. Meet Jen. She loves shoes more than elephants love peanuts. But every time she buys a pair of shoes, she brings home an elephant that messes with her closet and her finances. Whether you have more than enough or are barely getting by, let go of that elephant and start living like no one else. What's up, Seacoast? I hope you're having a great weekend so far. It is gonna be a great weekend at Seacoast Church, not only for what's gonna happen inside the walls at your campus, but what's gonna happen outside of the walls. See, if you've been coming very long, you know that a percentage of every dollar that comes in here at Seacoast is invested in planting new churches. And we're part of a church planting organization called The Ark, the Association of Related Churches. Well, this weekend, we're not just planting one church. We're not just planting a few churches. Check this out. We're planting 40 life-giving churches this weekend. Let's celebrate what God's doing through church planting. And so actually, I am at one of those church plants. Uh, you may remember Rob Braniff was on our staff here at Seacoast for several years. He's planting Waterfall Church in Miami, Florida. He's asked me to serve as one of his overseeing pastors. And so I'm down here helping them launch this church this weekend. Uh, but, but I'm excited to introduce you to our guest speaker. Our guest speaker is no stranger to planting churches. He's part of the leadership team of the Association of Related Churches. And he's been a friend of Seacoast for a long time. He's been here several times. And I can't wait for you guys to hear from Pastor Joe Champion. He pastors a great church in Austin, Texas. Uh, not only that, but he's not just coming as a guest speaker. He has agreed over the summer to serve as one of our overseeing pastors at Seco. So he's not just coming to speak. He's checking things out. He's making sure you guys are on your best behavior. So I want you to give an incredible welcome to our guest speaker, Joe Champion, as he comes to bring us the word this weekend. Well, good morning. Good morning, Seacoast, Mount Pleasant, of course, all of the campuses. It is a real honor to be invited back. I think they invited me back because they're giving me another chance to get it right. So thank you. I, I had the, the privilege of being your first women's conference speaker. You know, there's something for the male ego when you're asked to be a conference speaker for, a, for women. Now, I don't know if that says something about me or about the women of Seacoast, but... I believe I needed what you guys gave to me, and it's just an honor to be with you guys this weekend, and it's an honor to also be invited to be a part of the oversight team, which there's very little to do. When you people are as good as you are, there's nothing to do. So let's just go to the house. That's my first, that's my first command. Let's just quit, and I'll go home, and we'll see you next week. But I just want to say thank you to Seacoast. Thank you, Pastor Greg and the team. Of course, Josh, amazing what's happening with ARC as we're planting those churches around the country today. If you're first time here to Seacoast Church, that's part of what this church is all about, and that is taking what is good and what's been happening here over these many years to now helping churches start all over the world. And so it's a real honor to be a part of the Seacoast family. This has to be the place. Charleston has to be the place, the best place to retire. I'm telling you, if I'd have known, see, I live in Georgetown, Texas. If I'd have known there was a Georgetown, South Carolina, I would have moved here. The Lord tricked me. He did not tell me that there was a Georgetown, South Carolina. But I want to just get acquainted with you a little bit, introduce you to my family. Here's a picture that was taken back in June. 
and uh, beginning with the beautiful, well, of course, she looks like my daughter, but that is my wife of 26 years. She's here with me right now. That's Lori. We've been married 26 years, and then our son, Mason, he's 24, and uh, he married his beautiful bride, Caroline. We fell in love with Caroline, and during that whole process, we said, if you break up with Caroline Mason, we break up with you. You're finished. We like her way more than we like you. And so Lori received the daughter of her dreams, and they live in Austin, Texas. He is in commercial real estate, and she is an interior decorator and working in the flooring business. And then our son Jackson, he's 17 years old. He's a junior and wants to be in ministry and uh, probably will attend Highlands College in Birmingham, Alabama, if we can teach him how to read. And then we have... We have Connor. Now, Connor is our sophomore at Mississippi State. He's 20 years old. And uh, Connor uh, is quite a prodigy in the sense that he, he had a head injury uh, his sophomore year in high school. My father was an NFL football coach for many years, eight different NFL teams, Canadian League. I was actually born in Canada while he was a head coach with BC Lions. But Connor got my father's DNA. And so at 18, Connor... Uh, went to Mississippi State and began to work with Coach Mullen and the quarterbacks. He signals and has signaled for the last two years every play to Mississippi State's offense uh, and to, of course, Dak Prescott last year. And uh, he's asked all over the country to come and and work with their football teams at 20 years old. And I know a tough night last night for Mississippi State. Happy night because I played at LSU. My wife and I went to LSU. We were a family in conflict last night. And uh, secretly, don't tell my son, but I was pulling for the Tigers. And so I also know that was a tough week week previous for South Carolina because they played Mississippi State. And uh, yeah, there's one person, (laughs) one person from Mississippi and uh, the only guy that survived getting out of state. And so he is here. We're so thankful that all of Mississippi's here this morning. But... uh, It is an honor to be with you. That's our family, and uh, I just cannot tell you how how honored I am to be a part of the Seacoast world. If you're visiting this church, this is the church that you need to connect to. I want you to turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to the book of 2 Kings, and we're going to speak on this subject that began last week, Live Like No One Else. And of course, it's a financial series. And maybe you're here going, oh, I don't want to hear about money. I came to be encouraged. I don't want to be discouraged. I'm already discouraged. And I have to laugh because they called and said, Pastor Joe, we want you to speak in the second week, and we want you to talk about marriage and money, and we're leaving. Greg is gone. Josh is gone. (laughs) You're the man. Thank you so much, scaredy cats. And so when it comes to marriage and when it comes to money, it can be a mess. Now, let me also say to those that are single or single again, or you want to be single, hopefully, in the future. (laughs) Hopefully not. If you do, talk to Judd, Chip Judd. He'll help you. But the truth is that when you are even as a single person, you need these principles. You you need to be prepared if you're going to go into a marriage. You, you need to have every resource available to you so that you do not find yourself in a mess. You don't find yourself allowing love to overtake biblical principles of finance. So when it does come to couples, you got to know how to handle your cash. I call it holy matrimony. You got to have before the matrimony, you got to have the matrimony. 
money. First comes love, then comes what? Money. Actually, first comes love, then comes money. And I want to talk about that. I want to talk to you about it in a life-giving way because God does have a lot to say about our finances. God is concerned about how we handle money and how we handle money literally opens up the door for ministry. It will open up the door for you to be living like no one else lives. I like to look at that phrase biblically in the thought of an overcomer. The Bible talks about this, that you and I are called to be overcomers. An overcomer, Jesus said to him who overcomes, I will grant him a place to sit next to me on the throne. Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And we are all called to be overcomers. In other words, we are all to live like no one else lives as Christ's followers. And that goes for every area of our life. And the reason is not just so that we can be different, not so that we can be, uh, if you will, above average or, or out of the norm, but it is that God in this overcoming life and, and living like no one else would live is, is so that he can use you as a testimony for other people. So that your ministry, your marriage ministry and how you handle money literally becomes a pattern. It becomes a pathway for other people. And they see the peace of God on your life when it comes to finances. Now, the good news is Dave Ramsey's coming in two weeks. And I love how you guys have structured this series. You get all the bad speakers out of the way, and then here comes Dave. He's going to clean it all up. He is. He's going he's to answer every question that we all have. But the truth is, is that we are all trying to figure this out. I know Lori and I, when it comes to after 26 years of marriage, we're still having to walk through some money situations. She comes from five generations of preachers on both sides of her family. Everybody is saved in her home. Everybody. Every dog, every cat. Well, maybe not the cats. They don't get saved. <laughs> they go to hell. But the truth is, where are my cat people at? Where are God bless you. They're going to heaven just for you. Um, she had to live, and literally, she lived under an understanding that, that money had to be prayed in. Her father, wonderful man of God, mother, wonderful man of God, they, they pastored a church of about 150 people, and every dollar they had, every dollar that they spent, and they lived a blessed life, but they prayed, they fasted for everything they got. And so she has always been extremely careful with the handling of her personal money, she had to pay for her own car, her own insurance. She had to pay for her own education. She, if she came home on the weekends from Baton Rouge, from LSU back to New Orleans, she had to provide her own way, pay for her own gas. And so she has been raised with that understanding that, that money is precious and, and money needs to be handled carefully and it has to be handled preciously and carefully going into a marriage. For me, I was raised in a home with with a lot of, I guess, uh, a lot of freedom. My mom and dad, as I was born, had now had entered into their profession. My father coaching, as I said earlier, in the National Football League. And, and then as they got older, they got more tired. And then, we, and then we moved to a small town, Natchez, Mississippi. And uh, when you're from a small town, basically, it's, Natchez is Charleston, but just a lot smaller. And when you are in Natchez, you have charge accounts at every store. 
Maybe some of you are from a small town. Maybe you're from Mississippi or from some small location in this world. And, and everybody had charge accounts. How many were raised like that where you had a charge account at the gas station, at the grocery store? And, and so I had a charge account. At every store, there was a, a book. There was a, a credit book. And, and so I could go to that store, get my gas, charge it. I could buy clothes at Benoit Brothers downtown Natchez, Mississippi. And I remember going to Benoit Brothers and charging it. And so I was raised with the ability to charge and the ability to think that this is all free. And so even when I was in college, my good friend, T, uh, the, the family actually that owned Ruth Chris uh, Steakhouse and uh, T.J. Moran, who owned about 25 Ruth Chris's at the time, and, and I actually worked for T.J. And so when I'm playing football at LSU, Dad arranged for uh, a, a, a system that I could charge I could charge my meals at Ruth Chris Steakhouse. Come on, that's living right there. That's living like no one else, I promise you. That's the kind of life I want. Anyway, and then my dad would say, how many people did you take to Ruth Chris this month? And I took the offensive line with me one day. And when he got that bill for about $1,000 in 1986, I think that was the last time I was able to charge at Ruth Chris Steakhouse. And you gotta understand, I carried that mindset into the marriage. I carried into our marriage. Now, Lori carries her mindset of ministry, and she doesn't believe in saving just for the sake of saving. She believes in saving for the sake of generosity. I believe in the sake of saving so I can go buy something tomorrow. And uh, I carry in this mindset of fun and money. I carry in this mind, even though my mom and dad were fiscally strong and, and my mom and dad come out of the great, as I say, the great compression and, and they, they did not have a credit card. They, they did not live on credit cards. They lived on cash and they were extremely fiscally minded, conservative, but, but when it came to training me, they just kind of gave me carte blanche and so Lori and I get married and guess what? I'm waiting on daddy to still pay the bills. I'll get a little money and I'm out to buy something. And so we've had to, in these 26 years, I've had to learn how to handle Lori and the Lord's money. <laughs> and I would say after 26, we're still trying to figure this out. And by no means am I the expert in saying something that we have it all together. Dave Ramsey does, but I don't. But I want to help you because I do believe that there are some principles and there's a particular story. I want you to turn with me to the book of 2 Kings chapter 4. At all of our campuses, 2 Kings chapter 4, if you don't have your Bibles, it will be on the screen to follow along. There is a story of a couple who knows how to handle their cash. It's a story of a marriage who knows how to handle their money. This, this story, it's, a, it's an incredible story. And before I read this story to you, I, I do want to think about, when I think about marriage and money, I think about Boudreaux and Thibodeau. And if you're from South Louisiana, or maybe you've heard people speak here, they, we often talk about Boudreaux and Thibodeau. These are two Cajun fictitious people, but not really. And uh, Boudreaux and Thibodeau are, are two Cajuns, and having lived in South Louisiana for 20 years, I learned a lot about Boudreaux and Thibodeau. Well, one day, Boudreaux is driving on I-10, coming out of Baton Rouge. He's on, the, he's on the I-10 expressway there, going over the Whiskey Bay Bridge, going across the Atchafalaya. How many have been across that Atchafalaya on your way towards Houston? Well, he's driving this old 1967 Chevrolet truck. His wife is Clotilde, and she's sitting next to him. And so Boudreaux and Clotilde, they're just driving. And as he's coming up over that Whiskey Bay, 
He comes down on the other side. He's doing about 100 miles an hour. And that old truck is just about to rattle and shake apart. And, and he comes down to the bottom, and guess what? There is State Trooper Thibodeau waiting on him on the bottom. And so finally, when Thibodeau can pull him over, the state trooper finally pulls him over and walks up next to the car, and he said, Boo, what you doing? He said, what do you mean? He said, you were doing 100 miles an hour. And of course, Boo said to Thibodeau, he said, man, that truck doesn't do 100 miles an hour. He says, I'm telling you, you were doing 100 miles an hour. It's on my radar gun. He said, Boo I bet if you ask your wife, she'll tell you you were doing 100 miles an hour. In fact, Clotilde, tell your husband that he was doing 100 miles an hour. And sitting all the way on the other side of the front seat was Clotilde. She had her arms folded like this. She's looking out down in the swamp, not even looking towards Boudreaux. Doesn't even want to look mad. You could tell she is mad. Clotilde, tell Boudreaux that he was doing 100 miles an hour. Finally, she just turns and says, I never talk to him when he's drunk. Now you say, what does that have to do with money and marriage? You're driving, listen, you're either driving with what I call DWP, you're either driving with peace financially, you're driving, with, you're driving this marriage with peace, you, you have peace in your marriage financially, or you're driving with insecurity. And that's what I've had to learn in 26 years, that for Lori, her love language, the money language for Lori, money means security. For me, it means party <laughs> in a holy way since I've been saved. January the 10th, 1987. There was a BC before Christ. And so for me, money means shoes or money means golf or money means a vacation. But for Lori, money means security, not just so that she could hoard it or hold it, but that she could give it away. And I wasn't raised in a family of faith. I wasn't raised at all in church, so I never thought about giving any money away. I don't want anybody to have my money. It's my money. And then I got saved, and then I realized it's not my money. It's God's money. And so I had to learn that in my mishandling of the money meant Lori would have insecurity. Maybe you're today like Boudreaux and Clotilde. You're sitting on opposite ends of the house right now. You're not really connected. You're not sitting like country people do from Louisiana and Mississippi, my one Mississippi guy here, sitting on top of each other when you drive that pickup truck down the road. Maybe you're not talking. Maybe you don't want to talk about it because it creates some issues. I hope that this story is going to help you. It's going to help you just move. Listen, if nothing else, it just moves you one step closer to how God wants you to think about money. That's it. You may be a zero. I just want to move you to a one. You might be a 10. If I can move you to an 11. Or maybe you're a negative 100 when it comes to money and even marriage and your communication. If I can just get you to become a negative 99. That's all God is concerned about. And when it comes to money, can I just tell you one of the greatest scriptures in all the Bible? It's a money context scripture, Hebrews 13. God says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. The Lord is our provider. He will help us. In other words, even though you might have created the bondage and created the the, if you will, the situation that you're in financially, God is a God of mercy and grace. He is not going to turn away from you. He's not going to leave you in that mess, though you made it. But God is the God who gets us out of messes. Can I hear an amen at all the campuses? That's his whole life. That's why Jesus came to this world, to get us out of the mess that we could not get ourselves out of spiritually, 
but I also believe physically, relationally, and financially. Turn with me to the book of 2 Kings chapter 4. Watch this story. Now there came a day when Elisha was passing over to Shunem. And he was in and out of this area called Shunem. And there was, in that area, that location, there was a prominent woman. Now that word there means powerful. It means great, strong. She, she, was, she was strong financially. She was strong governmentally. She, she had a reputation. She was well known. She was gifted. And I think that you'll see in a moment how this all is important. Why every word in the Bible is given to us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And she persuaded, the Bible tells us, this woman from Shunem persuaded Elisha, the prophet, to come in and she would cook him some food. Being from Charleston, it had to be shrimp and grits. And so as often as he would pass by, he would come in there and he'd eat some food. He'd have a meal. She would serve him. And then one day, verse 9, she says to her husband, I want to take it to another level. I don't want to live at the level with Elisha. I don't want Elisha to just come in here for a few hours. I want him to stay if he wants for a few days. I want, listen, Elisha is a type and a picture of God. I want more of God in our home. How many want more of God in your home, in your life, in your money, in your vision, in your, in your decisions? She goes, I don't want him to have a quick meal. I don't want this to be a drive-by fast food restaurant for Elisha. I want him to come in, and this is what she said. She says, I want him to come because I believe that this is a holy man of God. This is something of a God moment. This is a God opportunity. I think that she sensed a sense of urgency, just like right now happening at Seacoast Church at all of the campuses. There's a sense of urgency that's happening. And what's happening in the Imagine campaign, what's happening in this church, and what's going to happen at the Mount Pleasant campus is going to give rise to every campus existing, and it's going to give rise to more campuses throughout this region. And she says, we got to take advantage of this. We don't want to miss this. And she said, this is a man of God who is continually coming by. Notice what she said. Verse 10, let's make a little wall upper chamber. In other words, let's do an addition. Let's add on to the house. Women, this is for you. Maybe you've been asking your husband, can we do something new in our home? This is your scripture right here. It's in the Bible. Start shopping. And she says, let us make a little wall chamber. And then she said, I don't want just a room. Let's put a temper. The word bed there means temper, posture, Peter. And then she says, I want a table. Let's get him a table. Let's get him a chair. Let's get him a lampstand. I want this to be, I want this to be high end. I, I want to make for Elisha. I want him to want to stay here. I don't want him to leave. If he wants to stay, I want him to stay. Can I just tell you, that should be your life as a disciple. Your whole life becomes, Lord, how can I make you abide in my life? God, how can I... How can I have you continually? And we do know that the gifts of God are without repentance. We know that the anointing of God, the gifts of God don't come off. But listen, sometimes the inspiration comes off. The anointing never comes off of your life. The gift of salvation never comes off. But the inspiration comes off. In other words, the awareness of the gift of God. And so I think that she was just expressing what every disciple and every Christ follower should be. And that is, Lord, I don't want to just live in your presence for a little while every day. God, I want to live in it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's the difference between religion and relationship. Religion says we'll come for that hour, hour and five, hour and ten, depending on the preacher. 
And then we go off and we'll come back next week and we'll do the hour and five, hour and 10. She said, I don't want just an hour and five or an hour and 10. I want every hour to be absorbed in the presence of God. I think that's why for me, it became so real, not having a church background, not having a mom and a dad that went to church and godly in many principles and in many ways, but church was not a part of our, part of our practice in life. And that's why now I can't get enough of the house of God. I can't get enough of being together like we are today. And she said, that's what I want. And so it shall be that when he comes to us, he can turn in there. Now look at verse 11. And so one day he came there and he turned into that upper chamber and he took a rest. He was napping, and then he said to his servant, Gehazi, he says, hey, Gehaz, he says, uh, I want you to call the Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him, and then Elisha said, I want you to ask her, say now to her, behold, you have been, watch this, you have been careful with us with all of this care. In other words, he's looking around, he's laying on that bed, he's sitting maybe in that chair at that desk, or lying on that, temp- that temper posturepedic bed. And he's looking around going, this woman is careful with her money. This family is careful with their finances. They did not go out and spend it on themselves. They're spending it on God. They're living for a bigger purpose. Gehazi, I want you to ask her, what can we do for her? Because she has been careful for me, careful for God, ask her. What can I do? Look, what can I do for you? Would you want to have an audience with the king? Do you want to meet or even go to the captain of the army? Translation, you need somebody killed? It's a mafia, mafia quotation. You want somebody taken out? And she said, listen, I live among my own people. I got everything that I need. But then here's what happens. So he said, then what can we do for her? Then Gehazi answered, you know, She has no son. And of course, here's the explanation and the reason why. Her husband is old. (laughs) And we can't find anything to help him. He said, call her. Bring her back in. And when she came back in, she stood at the doorway and he said, at this time, next year, you're going to embrace a son. And she said, don't play with me. What you talking about, Willis? No, my Lord. Oh, man of God, don't lie to me. In other words, I have been believing. How how did you know? I've been believing for a child. And the woman conceived and bore a son at that season the next year, as Elisha had said to her. I just want to give you four simple principles that we can learn from 2 Kings when it comes to this marriage, because this is a marriage between a Shunammite and what I call the dynamite (laughs) man. Here's the first principle that we can learn from 2 Kings chapter 4. Number one, powerful couples, and you can say financially when they're powerful, they are mutually submitted in the area of finances. So what you find is this conversation. You find that there's this conversation about what they're going to do with their money. And of course, it had to do with the kingdom of God. It had to do with Elijah building of this house. But, but what you find is this man, this man who was submitted. Watch this. He was submitted. We don't find his name. We don't find even one word, which is another principle that men you can bring into your world. If she says it, just do it. And so what you find is this submission happening mutually between this husband and this wife. What happens oftentimes in marriage is a male chauvinistic mindset. 
I make the money. And if I make the money, I spend the money and I will give you an allowance. Well, the Bible does not tell us that is the mindset that we are to have when it comes to marriage. When it comes to marriage, in fact, the Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5 and verse 21, that we are to be subject, we are to be submitted one to another in the fear of Christ. Translation, we don't play the power card, man. We don't play the power card, woman, if you will. But we are mutually submitted. We are in this together. And when it comes to a healthy money When it comes to the handling of our money in marriage, it is so important that we walk in with this mindset that we are all in this together. When Lori and I got married in July of 19... No, I know what it is. 1990. It was 90. And um, I assumed her college loan. That was my debt. We didn't keep separate accounts or separate bills. We... We're now in this together. That's what God has always wanted in marriage, to be one what? One flesh. The two shall become what? One. The two piles, the two issues, the two debts, they become one. And so what you find in this particular story is this mutual submission. And when it comes to mutual submission, what does mutual submission do? It creates mutual, or if you will, it creates an intimacy, a financial intimacy. And financial intimacy will create intimacy. And for men, it always leads to intimacy. Everything you do is going to lead to intimacy because that's the hook for men. Come on, guys, don't leave me up here all by myself, especially my one Mississippi guy. The truth is, That when we don't trust each other financially, we're not going to trust each other relationally. When we don't trust each other and how we are going to speak to one another, how we're going to handle each other's differences, it is going to affect the relationship. And what you find in this particular story is that they did not quarrel. There's not an argument. There's not a fight. And why do we quarrel? James 4 and 1 tells us. Here's the source of our quarrels. We live according to our own pleasures. We live according to our own desires. That's why Philippians says, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. In other words, with humility, you are to regard one another as more important than yourself. Don't look out for your own interest or your own possessions or your own desires, but consider the interests of other people. This is exactly what mutual submission is all about. We need to have mutual respect when it comes to money. We need to have mutual control. Mutual decisions, mutual planning, mutual sacrifice. It's not mine, it's ours. And he, now watch, this Shunammite man was submitted to this woman, and I think he was submitted to her because the Bible says she was prominent. In other words, she was gifted. She had the revelation. This was a God thing. And I will say that I've had to learn in my 26 years of marriage That I don't have to have all the answers. Oftentimes, Lori has the answer. And I need to learn how to just submit to godly counsel. And I don't care if it's a man or a woman. I don't care who it is or what it is. If it's truth, it's truth. Which leads me into this second point about this story. Powerful couples, they talk about financial issues. Powerful couples talk. They communicate. Now, notice what she communicated. She says, listen, 
I want to make an upper chamber, a walled upper chamber. I want to have a bed. I want to have a table. I want to have a chair. I want to have a lampstand. And it shall be that when he comes into us that he can turn in here. Now notice what it was. It was a detailed plan and a detailed goal, a detailed budget. And she said, this is what I'm going to buy so that if it shows up at the front door, I don't want you freaking out and seeing twice as much as what I told you. And I know that's happened in this room at some time. We've all done it. I'm only going to spend $100. And then you come back, or when the bill comes in, Lori has said, I thought you were only spending $100. I, well, I could not pass up the sale. You need to know I saved us $1,000. Look how much I saved. She goes, I could care less about how much we saved. All I care about is how much left our checking account, bonehead. And the reality is, is that when couples are walking in proper understanding of their cash, they are very clear, which leads me into this lesson about talk. T-A-L-K. What is talking about finances? How do you break it down? The letter T is simply transparency. Transparency. I was asking couples after the last service, talk to me about the most important point that hits you. And they said repeatedly, transparency, being open, being clear. And in fact, she said, I do the finances. She goes, I handle the bills. That is my wheelhouse. She has an accounting background. She was telling me after the last service. And she said, oftentimes, I'm not transparent with him, and he's not transparent with me, and I just want him to know exactly where we are. And I can tell you, that's where Lori and I have often been. She likes to handle the finances, and I like for her to do it. But sometimes I am not aware. We're not talking enough about exactly our position. You and I need to be very transparent. We need to be planning ahead. We need to be budgeting. We need to be writing down our goals and our targets. The letter A is accountability. That is simply accepting correction and discipline and punishment if necessary. I'll never forget 10 years ago, Lori walked in and she goes, hey, give me your credit card. I said, okay, sure. Handed it to her and then all of a sudden she pulled out a secret pair of scissors. And she cut it. And at that moment, I wanted to take the man card. I wanted to play the man card. You can't do that. I'm the man of God. I'll pray judgment on your life. And she said, greater is he that is in me than he that is in you. You're getting punished for your bad decisions. It's not so that she can hoard it or keep it. She said, Joe, we've got to... We've got to be ready to meet whatever need God gives us. I'm convinced we moved to Austin, Texas 16 years ago to plant Celebration Church. Before we got the city to move to Austin, which we now have about 12, 13,000 people in our church, we're building a $30 million building like you guys are. Our money had to come into proper management before the Lord gave us the city. If I look back at those two years from 1998 to 2000, what was going on in those two years? I think the Lord was saying, I want to get you financially ready for your future. And I can't send you to Austin with authority if you're in debt. You know why America has lost authority? You know why America has no moral authority? Do you know why we're without moral authority in our world today? Because of debt. We are slaves to the borrower. Are you with me? That's a biblical principle. And we can't speak to situations. We can't speak to rulers and powers and principalities when we ourselves as a nation are in the mode of debt that we are in. And you don't have authority for your future. You can't combat demonic powers unless you know how to handle your money. The letter L is simply the letter 
in relationship to listen. You gotta listen. That's why James says, listen, guys, be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. Everyone, come on, say the word everyone. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and don't get angry. You know why he says slow to speak, quick to hear, and slow to anger? Because the more you listen, the madder you can get. When your wife says, hey, can we talk? Or when your husband says, can we talk? And I just tell you, immediately you just go, oh, I don't want to talk about it. Some of you are mad while I'm preaching to you right now. You are mad. You're mad. You're mad. Because you are out. You're on your way after church to go buy something. <laughs> and God has busted you from doing that. You don't want to listen to it. Here's the letter K. It's this kingdom. Talk means transparency, accountability. Listen, and then the letter K is kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God. And every conversation has to have a kingdom component to it. Every conversation has to be about where is the kingdom. And of course, how do we know that the kingdom is first? Through our tithes and offerings. It's the first fruits. Nothing says that kingdom of God is first like tithing. Well, that's Old Testament, Pastor Joe. Like, you don't want New Testament because the New Testament church gave everything. You better want Old Testament. I can promise you. Here's the third principle that we can learn. Powerful couples create margin in their finances. It's all about margin. It's creating margin. It's creating room. Why is margin? Why is it better to want rather than to owe. I love that comment by Andy Stanley. It is better to want than to owe. Because there's going to come a day when you want to meet a need. There's going to come a moment when you need some margin. You need some room. There's going to come an opportunity when you want to give or you want to go. But you've been living on the edge or the ledge of financial destruction. And you don't have room for emergencies. You don't have a room for a breakdown. You don't have a room for anything in your life. They made room. In fact, they made room before they made room. They had to have the finances to build the extension onto the house, to buy the bed, to buy the chair, to buy the lamp, so that they could meet God's needs. Really, margin is for that reason, to become stress-free. That's what margin's all about. It's living without stress. It's living without pain. It's living without pressure. Which leads me to the fourth point as the worship team comes at our campuses, and that is powerful couples are marked with miracles. She experienced a miracle. Now watch this. She didn't even ask for a child. Didn't ask for a baby. Wasn't her prayer request. But God gave her her secret desires. God gave her that which nobody knew. And obviously it was a source of pain for her because at the moment when he said, you're gonna have a child this time next year, immediately she said, please don't do that to me. Don't, don't, don't mess with me. I've, I've been broken in the past. And he says, no, this time next year, God is gonna meet you with a miracle. And you know what a miracle is? A miracle is not going home and finding a money tree in your backyard. I know some of you would love that. It would be awesome if just money just start raining down on you. Doesn't happen that way. Every miracle, Old Testament, New Testament, every miracle, watch this, is a way out. It's a way of escape. 
For the leper, it was a way out of his leprosy. For the lame, it was a way out of his bondage of not being able to move. For the blind, for the deaf, for Israel crossing the Red Sea, it was a way. And today, God wants to give you a way. With every head bowed and every eye closed, God is the way. And maybe you're here today in the marriage because of some money decisions, money that has not been planned for, maybe where the money's been going, maybe there's money secrets, money, what we call money infidelity. You know, there are more women that have secret accounts than men because money to most women speaks of security. And I'm not saying right now, elbow the husband next to you or the other husband next to you or the wife or your future husband or future wife. But right where you are today, God does want to provide for you. He wants to provide for you financially. He wants to provide for you peace. He's a way maker. And I don't know how bad that marriage might be concerning money is in. How much debt you might be in. You might be right now in the middle of the worst fight you've ever had. You're under, you're under water. You're drowning. God says, call upon me. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ, God says, call upon me. Would you say this with me out loud at all the campuses? Jesus, say it a little bit louder with a little bit more conviction. Lord Jesus, I ask you for your help, for your life, for heaven to enter into my home, enter into my heart, into my family. I look to you today as the giver of all good things. I admit, Lord, I need you, and I'm lost without you. But through you, Jesus, I am saved, and I am safe. In Christ's name I pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. God bless you.